boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. It's Binge Boys. We're recording in the no man's land between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, wait, are are we recording? We're recording this? Oh, yes, yes, we are recording. Start over, start over. I'll hit record this time. Oh, Lon, what in the world? Start again. Oh, boy. I'm Hal Rudnick. He's the bearded menace, Lon Harris. Yes, yes, thank you. I'm a menace? I'm not a menace. I'm delightful. But doesn't that have a ring to it? The bearded menace. It sounds like I'm I'm here to do to do wrong. I'm like here imag- to, like imagine I'm here to like, menace people. I'm, yes, I'm here imagine to... like a WWE match and it's like, oh no, who's coming in? Yeah. It's the bearded menace. Right, but that would be if I was there to like pin somebody. I'm here to delight and entertain. I you our are. goal here is to inform. Um the bearded delight. Lon there you Harris. go. Thank you. That's yes. That's that's appropriate. Lon, uh, how, how sounds like a disgusting dessert. Oh, and can oh. I interest you in a bearded delight? Like, no, <laughs> I don't. Does it have little hairs in it? I don't want that. Uh, I enjoy a bearded dragon. What is that? Oh, it's like a dragon that has like a little kind of like a, a floppy like neck, like coxcomb type thing under its neck. Is it a real animal or is yeah, it a crypto? A dra- look up bearded dragon. It's so like it's not a, a it's not a dragon. It's like a big lizard. Yeah, it's like a, komo, a komodo dragon or a, a komodo a dragon. Okay, I I'm looking at the okay. I see. Yes, it's because uh, you you know it was like what's a bearded dragon? You're like this is a dragon. I'm like yeah, but there's not. But what? That's not. If it's called a dragon, uh, it's not a dragon. When you when you say dragon, I think of the cryptozoological, you know. Oh sure, the fantasy creature. Um, I remember a show called Game of Thrones that featured dragons, but. The creature is called a dragon. We we do have the animal, the the Komodo dragon. It's a it's a monitor lizard, though. It's not a dragon. That's if just the you, name. No, 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 no. If you don't if you don't understand that dragons walk among us, you need to get your shit together. And I'm not talking <laughs> to just you, I'm talking to everyone. Oh wow. We live in a world of dragons. It's the monitor lizards. They're called Some monitor lizards. Some Those bearded. are monitor lizards. They're, they're just they're just big lizards. They're not they're not dragons. Dragons. Some they don't fly. They don't hoard gold. They don't sound like Benedict Cumberbatch. Do they breathe fire? They don't breathe fire. They're not. Okay. They're, they're, they're not sacred protectors of water in in China. They're called dragons, though. They are. We did, you know, because old old timey people were stupid, and they were like, "Oh, that looks like the other thing." If wow, wow! If you want to slander the zoologists, yeah. So oh, old, old timey zoologists who didn't know better. Sure, I would say like, like in the Middle Ages when they, you'd be like, uh, like they would try to draw like a rhinoceros, but in England when it's a guy who'd never seen one, it would just be described, and so that's they come out looking crazy, and it's like they, they didn't know. And you can hear more of this on our Patreon, Lon and Hal. Talk cryptozoology. Like the like the people in the world of Don't Look Up, one of our films today. These folks were benighted. They don't have access to good information. They needed yeah. Adam McKay, but he wasn't around. You know, some people are into into cryptocurrency. We're into cryptozoology. I'm into neither one, but like when someone says, You into crypto? And I'm like, 
Yeah, you seen any unicorns or uh, it's like uh, I lately? got three jackalopes back at my place, man. What are you talking about? Lon, let's jump into the news. The news with Lon. Not a lot of news today, Hal. A, That's why we're good. we're going to talk about four things today. It's a slow. It's a slow we're news week. We're going to we're going to talk about more stuff we watch because yeah. uh, there's just no news going on, and uh, we don't leave our homes. We just watch a lot of content. So why not talk about it? I don't even know if my door even opens anymore. Yeah, I'm just like at this point, it's been it's been years. I don't think about the outside anymore. You know, it's I just curl up with my stories. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about the the New Year's Eve. Do, do people watch these these live New Year's Eve? I feel like everybody has it on for the ball drop. That's it. That is it. You, but you nobody is one on for the ball drop. Right. No one is watching the content. Everybody's just got it on. I okay. Let me make the distinction for you, Lon. Uh, if you're alone or it's just a couple of people, you'll have it on. If you're at a party, then. Maybe it's on and you don't. Really? So you're thinking, because that, it almost seems like less chance you would have it on if you were alone. I, I can't imagine watching one of these shows literally in a room by yourself. How, how do you not take yourself out? At like halfway through, by 1135, most solo viewers are dead by their own hand. We should say that. <laughs> uh, happy holidays, everyone. Rare oh, to get oh, to 1140 oh. watching a rockin' New Year's hey, Eve by yourself. I, That's just too grim. Sometimes I want to watch to see if anything insane happened. Like, has anything insane ever happened on one of those shows? Like, Jenny McCarthy came out as anti-vax once. That's probably the most insane thing to happen. Oh, uh, Natasha Leggero got in trouble for some saucy comments. Uh, but that's not insane. That's just like, okay, a comedian said a, said a, something about her labia or whatever. I guess some, I wonder, maybe it's from either uh, 2001 or from like the year of September 11th or the uh, the year of the, uh, oh, the year 2000, what they call that, uh, when it, the, the clocks couldn't roll over correctly. Y, Y2K. Y2K, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so- I always wonder, is there going to be like a big explosion or something on New Year's? <laughs> you, so you're watching, you're watching in case terrorism happens? It's a combination of morbid <laughs> curiosity. And I'm like, does anybody watch the ball drop shows? And how's like, I tune in every year in case there's a brutal act of terrorism. I want to be, I want to be first one to see combo. it. It's a combo. That's meeting. not the answer I was saying. I thought you were going to be like. Well, I heard that Mana was playing and I really wanted to see catch their set. Like, I thought that's where this was going. But no, but I do tune in as well. This was like, uh, you know, you, uh, Bruno, Bruno Mars is going to be on this year and he's bringing Anderson Pock. So I want to see them. Like, I thought that's what you're going to say. Not what if the Unabomber attacks? Yes, that's part of it. That's part yeah. of it sometimes. Hal and Isis are very excited. So let's go for just those, the benefit of those two groups. Exactly. Let's go through what's happening. The big news is Fox was going to do a live New Year's Eve special from Times yes. Square, New Year's Toast and Roast 2022, but it has been canceled. That was going to yeah. start Joel McHale and Ken Jeong live from Times Square. They're just not doing it. They're just like, forget it. Omicron, covid we're not going to worry about it. Other people will broadcast this ball dropping. We're out. So Fox is done. Oh, I mean, you need Dr. Ken there to give uh, Omicron advice. 
That's that's what he was going to do. It wasn't going to be a festive show. No. It was just going to be Dr. Ken Jeong giving COVID advice. I don't know why they called it the New Year's Eve Toast and Roast 2022 if it was all COVID advice. They probably scrapped it because they realized, oh, this is a misnomer. We should not be roasting people who have COVID. That's insensitive. That's just not, nobody wants to see that. Also, some of them will be intubated and they can't respond yeah. to the roast. It's just, yeah, it's it was a little grim. So that was not happening. Uh, all the other networks are going forward with their shows, but we're, we're making changes on the fly. NBC starting out with a totally new format this year. This will be the first time since 2003 that Carson Daly does not host NBC's ball drop New Year's Eve live special. Instead, we're joining Miley Cyrus and Pete Davidson from Miami. They're hosting a show that's going to include performances from Saweetie, Jack Harlow, and others. But not Miley Cyrus. She's just oh, hosting. Saweetie shaved her head. Lon, what do you think of her new look? Uh, bolder. Bolder. Uh, <laughs> um, this is one that I'll I'll watch this. I'll, I'll You're going to watch in. the Miley Pete Davidson show. Yeah, that's I'm, the one. Yeah, I, I've got a morbid curiosity to see those two together. They're in Miami, though, so you've got to wonder, are they going to have a ball drop correspondent in New York? Are we dropping a pineapple or something? Think, like, are, we, are we doing a Miami version? Also, will, my, will Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine be there? It's just going to be a pull, and then Pitbull is going to slide down it. That's how oh, we're going to mark the new year. Mr. Worldwide, and then when he gets to the bottom, he's going to yell Dale, and that's how you know it's the new year. Yes. Mr. Mr. Worldwide, Mr. 305. I think they have an on-location ball, right? So you think they're going to have a their, – their, Miami this year is going to have its own ball to drop. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Just an eight ball. Miami, they just drop an eight ball down there. Say hello to my little ball. It's a a drug. It's a drug trade joke, folks. Get on board. Do you think uh, Miley Cyrus and uh, Pete Davidson have, uh, you know. Isn't Pete Davidson with Kim Kardashian West now? Yes. Yeah. So I think, so So no. So the I I believe Pete Davidson, one woman man, obviously. Faithful and monogamous, I think. Monogamy still lives. Yeah, I get that vibe from him. Uh, uh, CBS, they're doing their New Year's Eve show from Nashville. It's going to feature, it's got a big lineup of country music stars, but at different venues. That's how they're making it work. So all sorts of different venues across downtown Nashville. They've got uh, Jason Aldean, Kelsey Ballerini, Darius Rucker, Hootie, your favorite. Uh, Blake Shelton, a bunch of other country music stars. So that's the CBS version. No word. I I don't know if there's a ball in Nashville as well. You've heard of a white Christmas. CBS is hosting New Year's for the Whites. Well, Darius Rucker is going to be there. Darius Rucker is a person of color, but his music for the Whites appeals to the Whites. It's true, but but <laughs> a, a man of color there, Mr. Rucker. Don't want don't yes. want him to feel left out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then finally, ABC once again going ahead with the – this is the 50th anniversary of Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Mr. Clark no longer with us. No, he RIP. But the but the Dick Clark New Year's Rockin' Eve brand still going strong with host Ryan Seacrest. Who's more bland? Who's more bland? Uh, Ryan Seacrest or Carson Daly? Wow. It's a, I, I feel like, look, on some level – you have to give Ryan Seacrest credit 
for discovering the Kardashian family. Like, Ra- mean, like Carson Daly does not have that feather in his cap, no, you know? Ra- yeah, Ryan Seacrest, he's, he's hooked his wagon to some big, big franchise. I mean, imagine the entire Kardashian, let alone the Jenners. I mean, I'm, we're not even talking about the Jenners. Oh, we're just getting started. Just we're talking about have... those Kardashians. Imagine if how how much poorer all of our lives would be if we had oh. not elevated the Kardashian-Jenner clan to the very pinnacle of fame. Do you know how different women's asses and lips would yeah, be. Yeah, we had like the the chi- the ripple effect changes to our culture, and that's all Seacrest. Listen, absolutely. So, so I think you got to ex- give as him an executive the producer there. if you play that executive producer card. But as a host, both of them uh, white bread with uh, a, a with a light butter. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not the most exciting. So that show's going to yeah. LL Cool J, Journey, and Carol G are your musical guests there. Uh, also making appearances, co-hosts Liza Koshy, Billy Porter, and CR. Oh, okay. There's your, there's your lineup. And they are from, that's the New York show. So they're going to have your authentic Times Square ball dropping on ABC. Anderson Cooper and, and Andy Cohen, don't they also host one from New York? I believe they are usually on the NBC version with Carson Daly. That would make sense. Andy Cohen. Oh no, don't they do it on CNN? <clears throat> well, that that maybe. I don't I don't have that information on me. Maybe there's also an Anderson Cooper CNN ball drop show. I was just looking at the networks. Gotcha. Why would who's watching CNN? Like, let me tell you the news. It's fucking midnight, folks. <laughs> Breaking news. The same thing that happened uh, every other day when it turns this time happened again. I'm trying to find information on Anderson Cooper and- I don't know why you would care. It's really beyond me. Got to get Steve Kornacki out there uh, looking at the the board, letting you know when it's midnight. (laughs) All right, so it's it's midnight. It's already midnight in England. We're still working on it over here in California. It's not going to be tabulating the results of the map. It's a fucking, it's fucking midnight. Kiss somebody, idiot. Okay, there move you on go. with your there life. There you go. If you're if you're at house house, kiss your wife because you're a noted wife guy. Absolutely. Uh, if you're I, at my I, house, taco. There you. Oh, I'll kiss my dogs as well. Lon, do you have any New Year's plans? It is coming up. Uh, this hour. This. You know, I I did I they I got invited to a New Year's party and I it's been a few years since I got invited to a New Year's Eve party so I was I was going to go uh but that, you know with Omicron now and now the hosts and I don't blame I understand yeah but the hosts have now said they want a covid test to come in so in addition to obviously being vaxxed and boosted they're asking everybody who's going to come to have a within the last 48 hour negative covid test and now we're adding real barriers to me going to this party like already me going to a party is like it's a 60 40 like maybe maybe i'll go to this party maybe i'll just bail at the last minute but now you're making me jump through hoops. Yeah, now I got to go get a test and this, that. So, so we'll it's see a what happens. And then also, what are you going to Uber? You don't want to drive on New Year's. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to throw a few back. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. All right, all right. How about you? What What are your New Year's Eve plans? 
potential small gathering. Um, my okay. wife is uh, out of town with her mom, so I might go to a small uh, gathering or uh, might just uh, might just stay home and have New Year's with Lil Wayne and Lucci, the pups, the puppers. Oh, I was like, what network are they hosting? Uh <laughs> Little Wayne, I would I would watch Little Wayne. I wish they would do like. Remember that year Jamie Kennedy hosted that like really yes, uh, like falling down like half assed New Year's Eve thing. I feel like that's what it would be like if Little Wayne hosted one. Yeah, half well. the time Jamie Kennedy was like, okay, there's nothing in the prompter. Yeah, they were just like stand. It was a lot of like standing around. If you've ever yeah. produced a live show, it was like your nightmare of what would happen. Exactly. Uh, so let's move on. Netflix is getting a surprise second season of Cheer, their cheerleading reality series. It's oh. They did not, this is the first we've heard about it, and it's coming out in two weeks on January 12th. It was a big hit, but, and then uh, one of the breakout stars of it, who, uh, the guy, Jerry Harris, is that his name? His name is Jerry Harris, correct. He, yeah, I remember. He went from that to doing uh, some uh, red carpet correspondence for like Ellen and stuff. Yeah, he had a he had a very like a like a wacky, eccentric, very big personality, and so he was like the breakout star of the first season that everybody liked. And so yeah, he started getting invited to red carpets. Now and- the only thing he's breaking out of is jail. Hey, am I, am I right? You you are correct. Alleged you know, alleged sex criminal. In in between season one and two, Jerry Harris was accused credibly of sexual misconduct with fans, specifically child pornography charges. Uh, he has he has been arrested. He has not yet been convicted, so we don't want to say he's guilty. Uh, these are all alleged charges, but. Obviously, that's a that's a thing that's hanging over season two of this show. So that's they a spicy meatball. Long. They are go. They they shot the show last year. They are going to deal with the allegations against Harris. There's going to be an episode where they interview the two brothers who made these allegations against him that led to this oh, wow. whole federal case. Uh, so it's mostly going to be about the the cheerleading and back to the sort of what made the first season popular. But they are going to engage with what happened. And it is still set at Navarro College in Corsicana, Texas. It's going to follow up with the same coach and a lot of the same players. Obviously, Jerry Harris not in season two. He is awaiting trial. Yes. Oh, boy. Well, uh, that very surprising because I, I figured that show was uh, just done. And, uh, you know, a one and done. It was a well, it was a big hit. It was it was very successful. So I'm sure they yeah. they, they, they tried to think about, well, how do we. And, you know, I guess they're going to not not avoid the fact that this happened, but somehow mm-hmm. try to sort of like, here's what happened. OK, we sort of put that to one side and like now let's keep following this team. Yes. And I, w- I would imagine that you have what initially drew people to this, uh, you know, young people doing their best to capitalize on their hopes and dreams. And then but then also I think there's going to be a morbid curiosity to see like, oh, how are they going to unpack? this nightmarish situation that uh, um, that occurred. So interesting, yeah. interesting. So there's that, uh, the Batman. You know, that that's the, the new- Batman. The Batman. Don't just call him Batman. Bat Disrespectful. Batman. The Batman. That's gonna come out on HBO Max just 46 days after it hits movie theaters. So hitting theaters on March 4th and then streaming by April 19th. Uh, that's apparently- this is going to be Warner's strategy for 2022. So open the big movies in theaters, wait 46, 45, 46 days, like a month and a half, 
and then drop them on HBO Max. The Flash, Black Adam, also probably going to use the same release strategy, and right. it's much shorter. Obviously, that's that's way condensed from what it used to be pre-COVID. It was 90 to 120 days before a movie from theaters would end up uh, streaming online. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back back in my day, we had to wait a good three months, four months. Oh, you kids don't know how good you got it. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And part of that was also they wanted to leave a, a more of a window for physical media, which people just aren't buying anymore. And there was more of a market, too, for the the VOD level, you know, like stuff comes out for rent or purchase on VOD. And then a few weeks after that, it would go to streaming platforms. We're just truncating all of that time because these companies are super eager to get these movies on their streaming platforms. Back in my day, I saw The Wizard of Oz. It came out in theaters. And then do you know how long I had to wait for it to come on streaming? 70 years. Yeah, exactly. There was no. That's honestly, even when I was a kid, people like I don't feel like there's any uh, recognition of this today. There's nothing analogous to this today. Like you would go see a movie in theaters. Yes. And then eventually maybe it would come out for rent. Like even that in the early days, it was like not every movie even hit movie rental places. Uh Most of them did. But there was no way to like buy it. It was like the v- the VHS tapes would cost like $120 a piece because they were selling them to stores that were going to rent them out a bunch of times. So there right. was no there was no purchasing market. So you would see a movie in the theaters and it's like, that's it. Hope hope you hope you liked it because you may never like there's <laughs> no guarantee you like ever get to see this again. It was just yeah. like movies just kind of like came to theaters and then sort of went away. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you did have VHS and then you. You did have some other just fledgling technologies like video disc and things. And it was also like TV. Like a big thing was like TV, like you know, HBO and stuff, but even like- Not every movie, not every, yeah. Yeah, not every movie, but sometimes it would just be like, oh, ABC is gonna run Star Wars tonight. Cool, I haven't seen that in a while. And that's like, that's your chance to see it. Like, yep. unless you wanna go rent it from the video store, anyway. Uh, trip, trip back into like 30, 30, 40 years ago. It was so different. Like the idea now it's so easy and immediate. There used to just be no home video market. It was just and like. And that's a new little segment we call Memory Lane with Lon Harris. Old fucks with Lon and Hal. <laughs> uh, speaking of Batman, we got another Batman story. Oh, but let me ask you, do you like that Batman trailer? Ah, yes. The, the Batman trailer that we, we got a new one this week. I, I gotta tell you. Yes. I love the way it looks. The cine- Greg Frazier did the cinematography. It looks fucking sweet. I like the way yeah. it looks. I like the new Batman outfit. I like yep. the look of the Penguin and the Riddler and this whole world, this whole Gotham. It's got that seven sort of very yeah, dark serial very killer vibe. It's Nolan. Fincher love all Nolan. that. It looks yeah. like it's shot and it's filmed in a really cool, interesting way. Yes. Having said that. Uh-oh. I, it, it feels a little like uh, I'm not I don't know. I'm not immediately pulled into this vision of God. It feels a lot like the versions we've seen before. Like yeah. it feels a lot like the Nolan Batman universe. Yes. I feel like some of the dialogue, like the Catwoman dialogue sounds a little sort of on the nose, a little mm-hmm. cheesy, like the bat and the cat working to get like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I, it, at, when you first when I first heard the like 
premise and the setup of like Riddler, but it's like he's like the Zodiac killer and it's this really dark and it's this like detective noir version of it. That mm-hmm. got me really excited. And then seeing it, it's like, OK, it looks just like more Batman. And I like Batman, so more Batman is fine. But yeah, it's not I don't know. It's not quite what I had hoped in terms of like doing something different from the other Batman franchises. If you do something too different, you run the risk of, uh, you know, people want what they know. Not me. I mean, we're yeah. going to we're going to talk about this because we're going to talk about Matrix 4. Yes. And why I liked it. And like. I, I, I'm just I get that I'm just different from most fans in that yeah. if I've seen it before, I'm just less interested in I don't think you can recapture that. Like, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like a lot of our culture is about like when I saw this in a movie theater and I was nine years old and it mm. made me feel this way. Right. And I want another movie to get me back to that exact Don't moment. Don't my childhood. And feeling, I want another yes. movie to bring me back to that moment. And I don't think, I think that's always a losing proposition. Like, oh, I don't think absolutely. You can. No, I agree with you on that. Like, I definitely want a, a, like a, like a taste of the familiar, but I want, I want Matt Reeves' spin on this. I want Robert right. Pattinson's Right, and, and, and so for me, I just, I feel like there's a lot of diminishing returns in how we're constantly trying to put people back oh, into yeah. that moment of like recreate this, the exact thing that when I was eight and this is how I saw it and it made me feel and I want it to be like that. You know, and, and then not, not being able to uh, re- resign themselves to a new vision uh, is what makes people get all toxic and fucking, yeah, ruined, you ruined my childhood now. Uh, I'm going to start a petition to to drum your movie out of existence. Right. So so for me, I'm always leaning into like, do it really different. Like, how, what can we do that would make this feel as fresh as possible? Like, I was just yes. having this argument too, with, with, not argument. I was just having this discussion with people the other day. Yeah. I think for James Bond, because obviously for, no spoilers, but we're obviously going to reset the James Bond franchise in the next few years. Oh, spoiler. And I was saying I would do it, period. Like, go back and actually, like, make it set in the 60s and, like, play up the retro yeah, vibes. Baby, like, yeah, That would Kingsman, really set... Baby, not yeah. in an Austin... Not in a parody way, but just, like, yeah. make it a movie that's set in the mid-60s and you could do all the Cold War stuff again. Uh... I like it. Because like it would just be different. It would just be like, well, that we haven't had one in a while that was... Oh, a little Bond prequel action. And like just getting to make like the Soviets can be the bad guys again, you know? Like Ooh. you get that old school feel that the world is so much different and you always have to have that scene of like, no one, there are no nations anymore. The, the, we're just, uh, you know, we don't know who you're fighting. Like we could finally have a spy movie without that scene where yeah. it's like, we know who we're fighting. The Soviets, go get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nice anyway, back. So let's go back to Batman. Michael yes. Keaton. We know he's going to reprise his role as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Uh, spoiler alert, folks. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Oh my god. Um, we know he's coming back in the Flash. Like we're going to get the return of the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton Batman in the Flash. Yes. That's coming to theaters next year. Uh, we now have learned that he's also going to reprise the same role for Batgirl, the HBO Max uh, series. But this is an interesting wrinkle. So that's going to mm-hmm. star Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon, the daughter of Commissioner Gordon, of course, who becomes Batgirl. Yeah. J.K. Simmons is going to reprise his role as Commissioner Gordon from mm-hmm. Justice League for the movie. Okay. But, so, but consider this, Hal. All right. In the Gotham of J.K. Simmons, Commissioner Gordon, mm. we've met 
that world's version of Batman, but he's played by Ben Affleck. Oh. So something is going to have to happen in the movie The Flash that brings the Tim Burton universe's Batman into the Zack Snyder universe's Gotham City. Are you talking about a multiverse? Well, we knew we were talking about the multiverse in Flash. He's going to use the speed force to the extent that he's going to run literally between dimensions. We already knew that was going to happen. Uh, We've learned that Michael Shannon is going to be in the Flash as General Zod from the Snyderverse. So... In some way, the, the we're, we're, we're bringing together multiple realities into one in in this movie. Now, is there the chance that they just don't that they just, they just don't give a hoot and they're, they're, it's just like, yeah, we can bring in J.K. Simmons as uh, Commissioner Gordon? Is it possible? Sure, I don't have a synopsis of this film. They could make up whatever they want, presumably. Or are we going to have, like, a bizarro Commissioner Gordon? I I don't think it's going to be any of those. I think it's going to be like what we've seen recently in No Way Home, what we saw in Into the Spider-Verse. There's going to be some explanation for how this has opened a pathway between worlds or realities, and this is the Batman from one reality intruding on the Gotham City of another reality. I bet you that's what it's going to be. And that would make sense for The Flash. That makes sense for The Flash as a character because that's established in the comics. He can do that. He's that fast? He's that fast. He can he can run between realities. There's a whole comic book arc called Flashpoint that is about The Flash literally going to a different dimension. Who's faster, him or Quicksilver? I mean, I don't fucking know. Who gives a okay. shit? Okay. Who'd win That's one race? of those, like, that's one of those, that's like a movie fight. Like, this is not, I don't do those anymore. Who'd win, in, who'd win in a race? Flash, Quicksilver, or Usain Bolt? You ever seen that Stan Lee answer to this where it's like, it's whoever the person writing the story needs it to be, you fucking oh. idiot. <laughs> like, like somebody asked Stan Lee that on a video, like who could beat, a, who would win in a fight between Superman and the Hulk? And he's like, eh, whatever the answer is for the guy writing that story, he's got to go to lunch. Did you ever see where uh, they asked Jeff Goldblum, what do you like better, Marvel or DC? And he's like, What's the difference? They're all uh, comic books. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like when anybody asks a Star Wars question to Harrison Ford, he just like looks at him like, ah, get out of my face. <laughs> like, the answer is nothing. I don't care. I don't know. I don't know who you are. This is relisting these. Uh, one more. Uh, William Shatner in that great Saturday Night right. Live <laughs> sketch. Or just Gwyneth Paltrow when anyone has a Marvel question for her. It's like, I've never been in those. No, I wasn't. Yes, I would were. never be in a Marvel movie. I, I, I hate them. I would never do that. You were Gwyneth. You've been Pepper Potts in, in eight of them. Like I, That doesn't sound like me. Yeah. Those were all Shakespeare in Love sequels. Uh, last <laughs> news story. Last news story. Oh, yes. also, also in this uh, this Batgirl film, Brendan Fraser. He's going to play Firefly, the DC Comics villain Firefly. He's the bad oh, guy in Batgirl. Very nice. Very nice. Part I, of the I, part of the Fraserzons. We're in the midst yeah, of Fraser the great Zons. Brendan Fraserzons. Absolutely. Uh, no, uh, no sudden move and. No sudden move, but Doom Patrol, also Doom starring Patrol, in the yeah. uh, in the series Doom Patrol, and now he'll be a Firefly in a Batgirl. Very nice, very nice. Good Finally, the last news story: the European Commission has formally cleared the proposed acquisition of Warner Media by Discovery. So that that that's almost a done deal. They still got to clear. Discovery shareholders have to say, okay, 
U.S. regulators have to say, okay, AT&T stockholders, they don't even get a say. They're, they're, the, they're the Kendall Roy of this scenario. They're, wow. just, they're just being swept up in whatever happens. Uh, so it seems like the deal is likely to go through probably sometime around the middle of next year. Uh, Discovery CEO David Zaslav is going to take control of this new joint company. So this basically is going to – there's still going to be an HBO Max – it will be owned by Discovery, so we'll probably see some sort of a HBO Max plus Discovery plus joint offer or service at some point. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it'll be no no longer AT and T owns Warner Media now. Discovery and Warner Media are this one big conglomerate. So, so, so how is that going to affect the uh, the streaming platform? Well, we don't we don't really know. It, it's possible they'll decide to keep Discovery Plus and HBO Max separate. I feel like they're probably going to be combined in some way, either as a bundle or they'll just merge them and it'll be HBO Max with Discovery Plus or whatever. So uh, Discovery Plus, it's, it's you know, it's it, if you think of the Discovery network of cable channels, yeah. it's obviously Discovery. It's Investigation Discovery. They do a lot of the true crime sort of stuff. Yes. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's it's. HGTV, it's Food Network, it's Magnolia Network, it's a lot of DIY, it's a lot of fix it, it's a lot of home Wait, improvement. What's, what's Magnolia Network? I'm not even Magnolia kidding. Network. So Chip and Joanna Gaines. Oh did, yeah. Did you know you know who they are? They they do a bunch of those like restoration, fixer renovation, upper, yeah, flip this fixer, yeah, fixer upper. Exactly, exactly. So they under Discovery created their own cable network called Magnolia that is just shows like that. It's mm. it's DIY, a little bit of travel, a lot of fix it up stuff. So there's shows about like, I'm a carpenter and we're going to visit 10 historic renovation projects. Right. Or yeah. Oh, here's, yeah. Or, or like wife food. Guy. My, wife, my wife enjoys that. Or like a lot of cooking stuff like, welcome to my ranch and I'm going to show you how to cook meals with all ingredients you could find on the ranch like that kind oh, of stuff. Oh sure. So Magnolia Network, it's just to clarify this for all everyone listening, it's not a network that shows Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia 24/7 on loop. No, no it isn't. It's it's DIY stuff. Yeah. Just had to get that dumb joke in. Just had to get that dumb excellent, joke Excellent, excellent question. Thank you. Uh, but no, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's Chip and, Chip and Gaines, I think I'm saying. Chip and Joanna Gaines. I don't know why I wanted to say. Didn't they have a highly publicized breakup or something? What? Didn't they? I don't know. Did they? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they just launched this network together. I think they broke up. Maybe. I don't Chip think. and Joanna Gaines break up. Are you looking that up right now? I am. I No, yeah. everything is what about is them said? launching this cable network together. Are they still an item? Magnolia Table is also the name of their restaurant, I should add. So with oh. Magnolia, their brand is Magnolia, which is why Magnolia Network. Are Chip and Joanna They? I'm looking at a picture of them, and they look happier than ever. Oh, okay. I mean, I feel that would be I feel like that would be big enough news that I would have heard about it just on the TV. Beat I, I'm myself. thinking of I'm thinking of a different couple then. Yeah, I think, you know what you're thinking of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian West. They memorably <laughs> broke up. I can see how you could get those two couples similar. I similar. I could see I maybe you're thinking been. of Elon Musk and Grimes. I you know what? I think I was thinking of all of them. Yeah. 
Grimes single now. If you weren't if you weren't a noted wife guy, I would be like, you know, maybe you should go for slip, it. Slip try to slip into those DMs. See if I can <laughs> see if I can get on Raya. Slip and, into those Grimes meet. DMs, yeah. Yeah. See if I can meet Grimes on Raya. Very nice, Lon. Any other any other news? That's all that's all the news. Coming up, Lon and I watched four things this week that we'll try to squeeze in without making this podcast too too long. First up, we'll talk about the new Matrix movie. Juan, we went back to the Matrix. Yeah. Uh, this one directed uh, solely by Lana Wachowski. Correct. And it's available on HBO Max. That's where I watched it. I did and not in go theaters up. nationwide, folks. Oh, yes, yes, uh, uh, streaming-wise. Don't feel go like the you've got to watch it on HBO Max if you prefer a big screen experience and you are vaccinated and boosted. Yes. Like if, if listen, if you want to, if you want to brave uh, the theater going experience, it is there for you. I watched it on my HBO Max, and we, yeah, we're we're back. We're back in the Matrix. That's your review. We're back in the Matrix. No, I, I actually, I enjoyed this. <laughs> I, it's like I enjoyed. An, it's it. like on cinema. It's like, and uh, it's a hundred and twenty-seven minutes long, and uh, there you go. Anyway, I was sorry, I was ahead. leaving you a little opening, but yeah, I'll I'll talk a you little bit about. You jump in, you do it. Yeah, so uh, I liked it. Th- this latest installment of the Matrix Resurrections finds us in uh, in the blue pilled world in the, uh, in the simulation or whatever it is, and Keanu Reeves is a video game designer, and the Matrix is a series of successful video games. It mirrors more or less what the Matrix films are in our in our rea- in our simulation that you and so, I, you the listener, and me and Lon all live in. So it's a the, baffling description. Of the movie. So uh, so these video games are to to, uh, to them what the movies are to us, and it's a very meta take on. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, we're getting on. There. Yes, yes, yes. But that, that was an apt description, Lon. <laughs> I was like, I would have like... Too, I took a very wordy approach. You got it. You got, it was yeah. a little bit of a roundabout way. I would be like, look, look. Somehow Neo... It looked like Neo died at the end of three. Somehow Neo's back in the Matrix. And they've made him think that it's the Matrix movie. His experiences were just this video game he's created. Exactly. There exactly. you go. And it's a meta take on the on the movies talking about how they affected society and so much one one thing i really like about it is it parses this discourse around the film in the same way people do uh in real life they talk about uh the technological implications of it the uh political implications of it the red pill versus blue pill and I thought it was pretty cool to see them chop that up. In addition to that, there's uh, it, it's nice to see these characters together. I really enjoyed seeing uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss there. And here's the thing: not everything hits. It's not a full-on bullseye for me. I feel like some of it just proves to be like a little ham-fisted and cheesy. Like I don't know what's going on with the old person makeup they put jada pinkett smith oh, i loved it it's, it looked it's so, so terrible it's zane i mean like what i liked about this whole movie the other matrix yeah. films and like look I, I i i 
it's fine. I like the the first Matrix, and I even on my most recent rewatch found stuff to like in Reloaded. I never yeah. liked any of the sequels before, but it was it was fine. I liked the freeway chase or whatever, but. I'm not as big a fan of any of these films as other people. And right. in particular, I just – I'd always wish they were more fun. It's always mm-hmm. – it's it's kind of a dour, bleak, grim, very self-serious experience, The Matrix. Yes. And – and they're always they're always talking in very serious tones about these philosophical ideas and and I, I, look I'm not I'm not trying to knock the whole franchise or whatever like like a lot of people love it it, it works for what it's doing but this was the first Matrix film out of all of them that felt like a fun adventure like mm-hmm. we get to use the raw materials of what makes the Matrix the Matrix like yeah. impossible physics and jumping around and you're in this simulated world that's inside a computer. But it's not just standing around speechifying. There's some of that, but it's it's a little bit zany. It's a little bit weird. It, it has that late Wachowski feel of something like a Jupiter ascending, where mm-hmm. it's like it's just very imaginative and it's funny. And the Wachowskis were funny. Like Bound is a funny movie, and the first Matrix has like when Joe Pantoliano's in it. There's funny mm-hmm. stuff in it, and then they it, like they their their style got progressively more serious over time and this to me felt like this really refreshing return to like that early voice where it's like it is a little wacky and yeah jada pinkett smith is doing i feel like they gave her like a which old person affectation would you like to do for this character and she was like every single old person trope (laughs) that has ever existed. So she's stooped over, she's doing a voice, she's blind in one eye, they're crazy wrinkle makeup, they gave her these gray dreadlocks. It's it's everything all at once. And like, that's the movie. This movie is everything all at once. They do cram a lot in there. Every idea, every weird joke, every concept that they could think of. And it's really like, it's wild. Like they go way further than I ever expected them to. There's a lot of just crazy surprises and weird twists and stuff that I don't want to blow. And a lot of people have been talking about the action and I, and I get that because she really changed up the way that they, the way that she shoots action in this movie. It doesn't feel like the other matrix movies at all in terms of the action. action was a little bit unremarkable, but see, I don't, I don't know if I agree. Okay, uh, uh, let me just, just say this. It's just very different. It's it's not trying to do the Hong Kong wirework stuff. No, they're, they're, they weren't trying to do that. Like, you go back to The Matrix, and one of the hallmarks of it is it was a game changer when it came to action. This movie, the action's good, but it's a little bit pedestrian if you compare it to the other films. I think it's just, it's it's not a focal point this time. And the movie comes out and says that. There are sequences yeah. where the movie basically puts a very fine point on it. Let's not, it's not going to be as action heavy this time. It really reframes because if you really like, I don't want to spoil too much plot wise, but sure. In the original films, the sort of the ultimate source of power, what it all comes down to is Neo. It's the one it's about this guy has all of this power. He's special. He's different. And through his use of power and violence and fighting, he's going to free humanity or, or fight this very important fight on behalf of humanity. And in this movie, 
it's really reframed as it's not about Neo, it's not about the one, it's about the power of Neo and Trinity together, and yep. very explicitly, their love, like their bond. I know this sounds cheesy, and, and it is a little cheesy. I don't, the ending. The movie doesn't che- run from this being cheesy. Uh, yeah. and that's what I like about it, is that yeah. it's very, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also sincere about this. And mm-hmm. so the fact that the power is now not about one guy fighting, but about two people being together means that there's just less fighting. There's just like a lot of people who are criticizing the movie point out that Keanu Reeves does not ever fire a gun in this whole movie. He's really using his power defensively and he's really using it to get around and to save people. Mm -hmm. And it is less fighting and shooting and Wen Wo Ping's wire work and all that amazing fight choreography it's not about that this time. And I do get that that is disappointing yeah. for people. Like, I feel like that's valid. And if that was what you liked yeah, about the Matrix movies, you're probably going to be a little disappointed yes, if in this you are go, If you are going in hoping for that same flavor, you're not going to get it. The, the restaurant went fusion. The flavors are all different. Mm-hmm. But you're in the same world. And I really loved Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss together. Like, they, they there was a, a real chemistry. Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris, I think, are both also really good in yes, this. very good. And we were talking about Jada Pinkett, who is uh, a little weird in this. But I really love that her friend in the movie, the horticulturalist uh, mm-hmm. who's, uh, doing all the botany or whatever, is played by Thelma Hopkins, who is a very underrated actress from like the 80s and 90s. She was in Family Matters and she was in an old sure. show called Gimme a Break. Of course. And you probably recognize her if, if uh, I know, not Lon, but like if, if you saw her, you probably recognize her. I think she's, I don't know, it was just very cool because like she's someone who, I don't know, I liked seeing her cast as Jada Pinkett's friend. But I, and I agree with Lon, Neil Patrick Harris. What's the other actor's name? Jonathan Groff. He was the one yeah, who was Jonathan King Gruff. George from Hamilton. Yes, yes, yes. yes Mind yes. Hunters. Yeah, they're both very good. So yeah, he's Keanu's boss at the video game company, who has, of course, I, a secret that we should not divulge. Yes, and um, and I and I liked uh, I liked this sinister Neil Patrick Harris as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. There's plenty to criticize. It's it's not what you what many people were probably hoping for when they when they were told we were going to revisit the Matrix, but it's what we got, and it's uh. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I thought it was delightful. I, I like this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Like, I was kind of dreading more Matrix. Because especially that third one, it's kind of a slog. Like, I don't I d- really... I, didn't even, I haven't even seen that one. I haven't even seen that one. Oh, one thing I will say. Let me ask Oh, you really? Question. At all? Ever? At a, maybe bits and pieces on TV. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah, I just skipped it. Uh, let, let me ask you this, Lon. The, the biomechanical animals that are in this movie... Like these weird, like animal, um, you robot mean, hybrids. You, well, the yeah, it, it, it in in all of the Matrix films, the machines are animal esque. Like they look like floating squids. Yeah. That that goes all the way back to the first movie. But I believe in this one, you're referring to basically at the end of the third movie. The conclusion of the original trilogy is not that the Matrix is going to cease to exist, but Mm -hmm. that there's going to be some sort of peace accord between machines and humanity. So there will be no more fighting and there it will be like humans can choose if they want to stay in the Matrix or they want to go into the real world. And so part of that peace accord we come to understand in the new movie is that some machines now live with humans and help humans. It's not just 
a group of machines and a group of humans, and they're at war. Gotcha. Yeah, they, I don't know. They just all look so goofy to me. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a design thing going back to the original movies. The, the, these look in line with how the machines look in The Matrix. Right, right, right. Not a perfect movie. It can be hit and miss, but uh, lots to enjoy in there. Uh, so Matrix Resurrections is available in theaters and on HBO Max. We watched another big movie release uh, that uh, hit the streaming platforms for just in time for Christmas. Don't Look Up. The new movie from Adam McKay hit Netflix. Got all-star cast. You got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in there. Uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, on and on and on and on. And uh, I know, Lon, you particularly disliked this. You didn't like this movie one bit. No, I didn't like this. Uh, I don't... It is extremely on the nose yeah. and corny in its comedy. It feels... If it, it's it's got it's it's really like a two and a half hour SNL sketch that doesn't know how to end. Like it's an extremely superficial take on a really complicated, nuanced problem. And listen, if it was a really superficial but funny take, like if I was really entertained by it, sure, I, I could give it a pass. But it's not. It's a mean-spirited, unfunny, sneering, and obnoxious shallow and superficial take. So I, I just, as it went on, I got more and more irritated by it. When it was over, I fully didn't like it. And now in the days since, when the people who created it are on Twitter like, oh, if you don't like the movie, you're part of the problem. You're one of the people making the climate bad. Like, ah, go fuck yourself, movie. I, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I really, I feel done with this whole thing. I, I like I liked the movie. I, I thought it was a completely imperfect film. Tonally, I listen, I wouldn't say it was uh, very, I, I wouldn't say it was completely unfunny. I thought, I think there were funny moments, but then a funny moment in the same montage would be followed by an immediately tonally, like just daft, unfunny moment. Um, and I think like sometimes it hit the mark, sometimes it didn't. It's it's not very good as a comedy. Like as a comedy, it's incredibly inconsistent. Like I, I'm not saying there's nothing funny. There are moments, there was one runner that I thought was really funny and then it doesn't have an end. Like mm -hmm. there's a runner through the whole thing about this general and they're in the White yeah. House and he, he tells them, hey, I had to go buy a bunch of these snacks. Can you give me a couple bucks for these snacks? And then later they find out the snacks are free. You just the mm -hmm. White House. You could just go grab snacks. So the yeah. general charged. It's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm setup. Like yes. this, this four-star general charged us for free snacks. And I was positive because they bring it up like four times. Yeah. I was positive by the end there's going to be some button. You, you got to sell. You got to finish that joke. And there's nothing. Just lets it drop. And it's like. That's just not even good comedy writing. That, aside from like it not being a very clever, smart, insightful satire, that's just like, how do you let that joke drop? Here's the thing with, with this movie. If, and I know, uh, you know, Lon is a thoughtful guy, but so this isn't, he, he doesn't hate it for this reason. But if someone's out there who hates libs, this is going to make them hate the libs even more. It, yeah. It, he's, Lon is like right when he says, it is talking down to the other side to a degree. There, I think it has some very funny elements in it. I really like the nepotism between Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill. Meryl Streep as an inept president and Jonah Hill as her son. It's, it's 
that is it's over the top. Lon is looking it's at me. It's so obvious. Like, of who are they supposed to be? Like Donald and Ivanka. It's Trump and Don Jr. And it's yes. it's it's an SNL take. It's like, oh, he constantly touches his nose like he just did coke. And like, mm-hmm. oh, she's like obsessed with social media. And it's like, it's the fucking most obvious take on Trump and Trump Jr. We've seen it a hundred fucking times. I'm a simple man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed but it's just it. like, if you replaced Meryl Streep with Alec Baldwin, you would not be able to tell that wasn't an SNL sketch from 2019. Not an untrue point, but uh, I enjoyed it. I'm a simple man, but we're burying the lead. The best thing in this movie is Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Oh, I don't agree. Oh, I absolutely. I thought agree. DiCaprio was was way funnier than Mark Rylance is just doing his Ready Player One character again. It's the same exact bit. I thought Mark. He's Rylance, even doing the voice. I thought Mark Rylance was fantastic as this Steve Jobs meets uh, Elon Musk meets Mark Zuckerberg. It's, uh, yeah, it's Elon Musk. Meanwhile, not a single energy executive depicted in the movie. If you watch this movie, it seems like the main people responsible for the climate change problem are uh, Kelly Ripa and Michael Strahan, uh, <laughs> pop, pop music stars, uh, Trump and Don Jr., and uh, like, like, who are, who are these fucking targets? And and Elon Musk, they're the people. They they did it, not Chevron. They don't get mentioned. Well, I think the movie is. How can you have a climate change satire, and the villains because are the Michael is, Strahan is, and Kelly Ripa and Elon Musk? Well, the main thing it's saying is people don't care. Like we know, and we we know what's happening, and people don't care. I think you've put the you put your finger on it. Do yes. you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that uh, most Americans don't care about climate change? Or do you believe that they do? They vote for politicians who promise they're going to do things about it. They support companies that say they want to do things about it. And then those people don't follow through on their promises, which sounds more accurate. It's not black or white. Exactly. I think I, that's four- all. That's all I needed you to say. I totally agree. It's it's more nuanced. So making a movie that's just like, yeah, I think there's. 30% of people that don't care. So making a movie, there are people who don't care, but this movie, 30%. this movie is made by a sneering fucking self-satisfied jackass who wants to blame everybody else. It's because you fucking don't call the guy who made Step Brothers a sneering self-satisfied jackass. Ooh, it's because you people don't care enough. If you only cared more, and it's like, who's you? Who's you? The movie doesn't say. Who's the you that doesn't care? How is this useful in any way to just blame everybody else? It's America's fault. All right. you Great. You got me. It's America's fault. Thanks. Feel better? You know, it, it's it's not a perfect comp. <laughs> and it's not. But so you think we are doing enough? No, I think this is a shit metaphor. I think that if you want to talk about climate change, you need to actually talk about climate change in some kind of recognizable way. And this comet metaphor doesn't do it. First of all, they only have six months. From the time the comet is detected until it arrives, there's only six months, and there's only really one plan that they ever come up with that would work. That's not a good analogy for climate change. We've had fucking decades. We know exactly there's a million things we could do. We have a finite amount of time. They but say it's decades. All... But I'm saying nothing about the scenario as presented in this movie specifically has anything to do with what's going on for climate change. It's not a good comparison. And nothing that the movie raises 
is a good comparison. You're taking it a bit too literal. It's not. It's a, it's a metaphor. It only works if it's a metaphor. And the only level the metaphor works on is like, problem, big yes. problem. That's it. That's it. It's a broad Well, that's fucking metaphor. stupid, Hal. That's okay. not interesting for a two and a half hour movie. Big problem. It was entertaining enough. It was Why don't we do enough. anything to fix the problem? What's that? In the movie, we don't do anything to fix the problem because people are distracted by morning shows and then because a rich CEO lies to the president and tricks mm -hmm. them into harvesting minerals. Is that why climate change – is that why nothing happens about climate change in the real world? Is that analogous? Yeah. What does Kelly and Michael have to do with anything? Politics got in the way. Uh, politics just got in the way of them. But that doesn't happen. A huge climate bill. But Congress isn't even fucking featured in this movie. That very thing happened in D.C. last week. But there's no Congress in this movie. It's broad. If you, <laughs> you want a perfect. You're asking for a perfect template. I want if you're making a two and a half hour metaphor about climate change, that your metaphor has something to do with climate change. Not everything. Something, one thing, one comparable aspect. Nothing okay. in this movie is comparable to climate change. Th there's a, an impending situation that could uh -huh. destroy the planet. Okay. There it is. There you go. Well, that, two and a half hours. Climate change. That's a planet, sketch. Planet. That's less than a sketch. That's not, that's not a whole metaphor. That's not a now, satire. You gotta I give me something. The, I, I think you're mad at some of the wrong stuff here. There's a lot, th there's stuff to I'm be I'm mad at about it being movie. a dumb premise that is utilized exclusively to try to make other people feel bad. It's not productive in any way. It's not insightful. You don't learn anything. You gain zero insight into this problem, into the situation, into the stakeholders, into what's really going on. It is, this movie does preach to the choir. I found it very enjoyable. It's just a sneering, everybody's dumb but me. Everybody's too stupid but me and distracted. I'm the only one who gets it. And if only everybody was like me, we'd have fixed this by now. And it's like, go fuck yourself, honestly. This is not helpful. You know, you, you, you make some good points there, but it doesn't make so. the movie not enjoyable for, uh, if, if you're like, okay, yeah, there is a problem. I think you were screaming at it. I was screaming at the TV. I, I, I was losing my mind. Yeah. No, honestly, that's not true. About half of the time I was really frustrated. About half the time I was just like, oh, this is just dumb. Like, I didn't, I didn't ever think it was great, but I, I wasn't actively offended by it, that's like come later. Like in the two, two or three days since I watched it, I've gotten progressively more upset with it, both at the movie and at the reaction that it's getting. Like I find this whole like, oh, if you don't like the movie, you're part of the problem. It's like, um, no, like we're, yes. You know, that's a, that's a load of crap. We're entitled to our subjectivity. In but one way, yes. Our lifestyle, our society, our culture, our country, yes. We are all implicated. We are all part of the problem. But in another way that's like the productive way, there are big obstacles to us doing anything about this problem. And the issue is not that nobody cares. It's that we don't know how to get past those obstacles. Like we just talked about like exactly like what you were saying. Joe Manchin, yes. the state of West Virginia, yes. the the way that our Congress functions, that's a huge obstacle. Now, is the problem there morning TV shows or Ariana Grande songs or people not giving a shit? No. The problem is 
Congress and the way that it's structured and the way that these bills are passed and the gridlock in our political system and guys like Joe Manchin. And Don't Look Now has fucking nothing to say about that. Nothing. And I understand that it was made before that specific confluence of events happened, but it was not made before that was the general problem. That's been the general problem for decades now. Decades. And so I don't think there's really an excuse for producing something that's this narrow and that's this shallow about something that's this fucking important when this many people are going to watch it in 2021 when it's such a desperate time. Like, this isn't the time for invective and sneering rants and bad comedy. This is like a fucking... You, like organize, like say something. Well, it's it's always it's always a time for bad comedy. And educate, educate, enlighten, like make it about something. Yeah, but like here's the thing: this isn't as sharp and dead on. Well, the big short was about the actual events. This is a fictional story that's very broad. I think you're asking too much of this movie, Lon. I think, I think I'm think asking, asking for it to do one, make one. One fucking good point. I, I wanted it to make one solid point. And here's the thing. Like, yes, people, okay. It's a satire. Answer, That's what it's supposed to do. The thing that you keep bringing up. Yes, it, it, people are not mesmerized by morning shows, but people are mesmerized by pop culture, their phones, binge watching shows, listening to their podcasts, and not, not if people really had the impetus to get this change done or that this was what, a what, problem. What would they do? Oh, keep going. What would they do? They would be screaming like Greta Thunberg. We are. Are we? There are international protests about the environment all the time. We elected all these Democrats. That was the that was the campaign. Like, what are we supposed to do? What 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 do you think? What do you think people should be doing that they're not doing that would have fixed this? Every day, I don't know, average people. Showed that I don't know either. I don't think Adam McKay knows. I think he just wants to yell. No one knows. I think he just wants to get mad. I think he's just frustrated, and we all I feel frustrated. Also, we're only talking about climate change. I I feel like there was also some allegory. Uh, you get it in here. It's of course because it's so fucking broad. You could say it's about anything. That's the point. That's the point yeah. I'm so making. So Lon and I differ on this. I think there's redeeming stuff. I think Mark Rylance should be nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I do not agree. Cody Smith McPhee was like so amazing. I didn't say he shouldn't get. I didn't say Cody Smith McPhee. Oh, you know they nominate Cody five Smith guys. McPhee. You Alex Wolf and Cody Smith-McPhee, those are my You know they nominate Alex, five guys. Alex Wolf from Pig and Cody Smith-McPhee for Power of the Dog. They should win. Sure, right along with Mark Rylance and, and Don't Look And Jerry up. from the Tom and Jerry movie. Mm, I liked Michael Pena in that movie. I consider anyway. Tom the lead and Jerry the support. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't Look Up is available on Netflix if you want watch it and uh, let hey, us know. Hey, shut up, pal. No, I'm kidding. With. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, we also watched. Oh, I hate it so much. I'm so mad now. <laughs> How dare you blame Kid Cudi? How dare you blame Kid Cudi for this? <laughs> Kid Cudi did nothing wrong. Listen, we'd be screaming like Greta Thunberg. We watched MacGruber on Peacock, ah. and this ah. made me laugh. This I'm made so me much laugh. happier. Instantly happier. I loved this. Holy I shit. I never realized I would get so much joy from looking at Will Forte's bare bum. 
Will Forte's bare ass is. I want to let people know. Episode two of MacGruber, Will yes. Forte is naked the entire episode. I think yes. he's got his clothes off for literally the full 30 minutes. Yes. He is nude the whole time and it's beautiful. And he and he owns it. And his like so much great butt humor. His, yeah. his naked butt is in the credits. Like it's, Yes. You wouldn't think it possible. Um, and from the moment it starts, Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph welcomes us in with a gorgeous refrain. And then we we launch right back into it. And whether you remember the movie perfectly or not, you are in it and it's a fucking joy. They do summer. The first two minutes or so of the show is a musical, like here's what happened in the movie. Yes. Uh, so you don't have to watch it, but I would, I do recommend watching it. Like it is, it is important setup for the MacGruber action to follow in the show. Yes. Yes, uh, I, I do. I do. I do. Especially I, I, I like a lot of like uh, Billy Zane very clearly watched the film and is like kind of doing a Val Kilmer-esque turn in some way. Like I like that he yes. brought. Yeah. Channeling the rye kind he of. He brought uh, a lot of like that, that sort of there's there's now in the way that there's a Bond villain. And, you know, like when I say a Bond villain, you have like. There are tropes that we associate with it. Yeah. There is now a MacGruber villain. And like you kind of are like, oh, okay, I get mm-hmm. they've got like a vaguely dirty sounding last name. They're like yes. ex-military. <laughs> they have this, you know, they've got like troops and like, you know, they're like a private military contractor. They've yep. got like a mercenary yep. squad. Anyway. A lot of the familiar characters are back. Kristen Wig is fantastic. Ryan Felipe is a very good straight man for the nonsense. Can I say? An excellent addition to the ensemble, Lawrence Fishburne, really yes. coming in and kill like uh, you hear Lawrence Fishburne is in it. Sam Elliott's in it, more of like a cameo. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne, a, a major, a, a, a series regular role, like a major oh, yeah. role, and owning the comedy very hard. Yeah, like, really clearly got into getting to be zany and do something funny. Yes, uh, Lawrence Fishburne is excellent. Sadly omitted from. The Matrix Resurrection. Well, because that Morpheus, that Morpheus yeah. died in a video game. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know. Did you did you do you know about this? No. There was a tie-in video game. Uh, what, what was what was the game called? The Matrix Online. They had oh. promoted the game specifically as being like it's canon. Like whatever happens in the game happens in the storyline of the matrix and then morpheus gets murdered in the game so they oh. they established that it was canon so we we kind of knew that 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 morpheus could not come back because he's dead gotcha and canonically dead unlike neo and trinity who this movie explains did not die when we thought they died in three. yeah so we have uh yaya uh abdul mateen uh as morpheus. stepping in as sort of a new it's a it's very complicated. Let's get back into you know Lon and I are going back into the Matrix. <laughs> I um, can keep talking about that Matrix movie, but no, back to MacGruber. But MacGruber, it's it's joyous, and you know obviously it's very filthy. It's it's dark and weird and violent, but it's God. I I just found it freaking hilarious. Just so good. 
Yeah. Uh, really funny. You know, it, it's just uh, it, it, it's 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 its own weird little world. I mean, I think that's yeah. what's that's what's so good about it is you'd never guess from these old SNL sketches, which were just kind of absurd, straight up MacGyver parodies. You'd yeah. never really guess from that that like where they were going to take it once they got more time to really build a whole world. And it's just a really like funny take on that specific like '80s action TV show genre yep. and it's just super fun like i don't like that you know i don't want to overthink it it's just it's just, i enjoyed it a lot like literally watching it and just like so like several times per episode i'll just be like god damn that's a funny line of dialogue yeah it reminded me a bit of the uh the wet hot american summer netflix show where it's like you would think uh -huh. it's really hard to sustain this kind of parody over the course of a tv show because you just have to write so many fucking jokes like it's just joke a minute for, you know, three, four hours of a, of a TV season, but it, it really works. It comes together. Absolutely. MacGruber is available on Peacock. And Lon, as you know, I'm a, a proud Peacock Plus member yeah. now. Yeah, right. you're a coxman, a proud coxman. A, a proud coxman. Ca -ca. Yeah. Um, uh, display your feathers. <laughs> I love that was that was a real I believe that used to be that was an old timey term for like a gentleman who sleeps around a lot. Oh, like coxman. A, yes. a great coxman. Uh, my my father used to use that term. Unfortunately, it's so good. Oh, I, unfortunately, I fucking wish that would come back. That's uh, such a great. That's so good. Ah, uh, a coxman. Ooh. Oh, I heard you were a legendary coxman. That's that's because so, it sounds so sophisticated for something dirty. That's that's the best. I was listening to uh, the podcast, the BS Report, uh, and. Uh, hey, Michael, don't promote other podcasts I on know. our podcast. What the fuck are you doing? Michael Rappaport was talking about making oh, Popland, and he was talking to Sylvester Stallone, and Stallone mm -hmm. was telling old Hollywood stories, and he was talking about Burgess Meredith. He yeah. Said, oh, yeah, Burgess Meredith. He was a real stick man. He was a stick man. Yeah. His term for Coxman. Yeah. And finally, we watched one more program. My this God, is, where do we find the time? I know, right? <laughs> well, it is the holiday weeks. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't have, I got nothing going on. <laughs> Station Eleven, mm. new to HBO Max. Uh, listen, if you wanted to see another dystopian future, Station Eleven is here for you. And actually, in terms of what we're going through as a society, there is a connection there uh, as far as a pandemic that really goes off the rails. But I will say, I... Like, this is based on a novel that was very well received and my brothers actually read and recommended that I have not read. So I was, like, looking forward to this just because I've heard of this story for a while now. A novel or a graphic novel? Novel. Straight uh -huh. up prose novel. Emily yeah. St. John Mandel is the author. Uh, but at the same time, I was curious about it, but another, you know, post-apocalyptic dystopia. Like, we've seen yeah. so much of them. I feel a little worn out by them. Why the Last Man, we just watched Finch not long ago. There's so many yep. of these shows uh, and films. But I, I'm, I'm happy to report that this one I thought was a nice change of pace because it's really not – so many of those shows, they get stuck on that Walking Dead survival beat where it's mm -hmm. just every week is like we got to scavenge for supplies. Who are those people? They're going to try to kill us. We got to protect ourselves. We got to find a place to stay. It's just like these immediate – like on the Maslow hierarchy of needs, you're at the very bottom, you know? Like, yes, yes, the most basic survival like, needs. Yeah, we got to get away from these fucking zombies or, or walkers. Threat. Or, 
imminent threat, move on, imminent threat, move on. And and Station Eleven kind of doesn't really occupy itself very much with that. It's really more on the sort of existential or uh, lifestyle level where it's like, well, how would it feel if, you know, like you were just living in a community that was part of a massively depopulated earth and how would it affect forming relationships and mm-hmm. and falling in love? And, and what if you thought you were the only person on earth who knew about a book and then you met somebody else who knew about the same book? Like, what would that feel like? And, and so... Uh, I like that because it, it felt like it was exploring a different side of these scenarios than we usually get to explore. Absolutely. Like, I agree with Lon. It's super well-trod territory. Uh, there's, like, the like half the IPs out there are dealing with dystopian futures and worlds. But this, among other things that's that are really impressive about it, besides uh, cast, great performances, the time construction is really fascinating. And there, you go to, I don't want to, you know, call it a, the cataclysmic event, the cataclysmic. I mean, I think you could say it's like a pandemic, or, or the pandemic. That, that depopulates yeah. the world. I don't think that's yeah, the, So they go pre-pandemic and then uh, mid-pandemic, post-pandemic, and that, and they, it jumps around and it's really unpredictable because you'll get a bottle episode more or less about a character who you didn't know much about. And it's like, oh, wow. And we're barely seeing uh, the other characters that we had just gotten used to. But then it comes back to them. And yeah, it almost you, feels like an anthology at first. And then it's mm-hmm. only over time that you start to get the connections between all of the stories that you've been seeing. And that being able to revisit all of these being able to jump around time-wise gives you different textures and flavors that I think also helps to make not make it, uh, put it into that walking dead, rinse and repeat kind of MO. So um, you're getting different delightful stories. They're, uh, um, they're really, uh, the performances are, are really fun. And, it, and it, the main focus is a traveling Shakespeare company uh, in the post-apocalyptic world, right? Yeah, I mean, like that. It, it's set twenty years after, and I think that's that, that. To me, is what was interesting. It also is interesting. Patrick Somerville is the name of the guy who wrote the adaptation of the novel. He also wrote on the leftovers, and and there mm. were moments of this that did remind me of the leftovers in that in that idea of like it's less about how do we immediately survive in the aftermath of this cataclysm or this disaster? And it's more like long-term, like how did it change the rhythms of life? And like, how did it change the way people see themselves and see the world and, and, and those kinds of ideas and like, and, and religion and, and faith. And, you know, like how do we experience that in the aftermath of something like this? And uh, so, yeah, I think that's interesting too, that most of this story is set way after the the disaster and then we get mm-hmm. flashes of what the world was like during and before uh it's also just filled with there's a lot of really good performances Kyle Garcia Bernal Himesh Patel is really good Mackenzie I mean how is Mackenzie Davis not like a superstar you know she's it seems like like she's been in so many things yeah but they're always like it's always like stuff that not everybody sees you yeah. know like terminator dark fate or that black mirror episode you know yeah. it's just like i yeah. feel like she's never been amazing in something that was like in front of everybody like she drives she drives this and she's got um she's got like a uh 
like a vulnerability and a toughness about her simultaneously um, as uh, essentially the lead character in the show. Uh, and she's fantastic. Uh, Danielle Deadweiler is, is really great in it as well. Who you'll recall from uh, The Harder We They Fall. We just saw her in uh, yes. Yes, yes, The yes. Harder They Fall. She was the 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 soft-spoken bouncer. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forget the character's name now, but almost mute, barely says anything, real real tough, doesn't doesn't seem, you know, very, much more imposing than she initially seems. That's her, that's her bit. Yeah, and a little bit seemingly like a gender-fluid character almost. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and in the harder they fall. Yeah, she's, oh, wow, I just made that connection. This is such a different role than that. Uh, Cuffy, fantastic. Cuffy is her character. Cuffy, in Heart Cuffy. Of the fall. So, um, yeah, Station Eleven, really, really worth, really worth checking out on HBO Max. It'll kind of defy your expectations in terms of uh, what a, what you expect from a dystopian post-apocalyptic jaunt. Uh I think that's all the programs we watched, Lon. Yeah, finally, jeez. Oh my God. Lon Enough. and I are gonna get out of here and go argue about uh, Don't Look Up a little bit more. I'm gonna go cause climate change by uh, myself because I don't give a fuck. I mean, you'd really be screaming from the highest hilltop because climate change is real. Yeah, because Michael Strahan, I blame him. That's who Tyler Perry's supposed to be, right? Well, they're a morning show. So, no, he, he wasn't supposed to be a Michael. They were just supposed to be a glib, I, like more of like a Regis and Kelly or a Because the way they talk about them, like, oh, you got to go on The Rip. All the kids love The Rip. And then it's like a morning show. It's like, wait, I thought this was going to be like a podcast. Like, it just feels like nothing that's relevant made its way into the movie. Like, there's no, there's, you know, where's the Joe Rogan parody? Like, isn't that, isn't that more relevant than a morning well, show? Well, the closest you'll get to that is Michael Chiklis in the movie. But he's supposed to be Sean Hannity. Yeah, yeah, but that's the only kind of like conservative. Yeah. But they're right. That's yeah. You get a blip of Fox News. There's much more attention on the morning show than Fox yeah. News, which is like really all right, all right, all right, Adam McKay. Not a perfect movie, but not as bad as Lon said. Not a good movie. Hoot hoot, Owl Nation. Where are my Gahooligans at? Uh, thank you to Starburns Audio for hosting us. Thank you, Super Producer Travis Reeves. Thanks to Jason K for our opening music. Lon Harris, do you want to tell them anything? You want to tell them where you can find you? Ah, Twitter. Just go to Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to uh, find me on there. I'll, I'll update you there about everything else. That's that's it. There you go. Find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Hal Rudnick, at Hal Rudnick. And I want to thank you for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Yeah.